0: Hi, everybody. This is Christopher. Welcome to Finding Japan, episode 36, I think. Well, I just wanted to thank uh, everybody for tuning in yet again. Um, I was just talking to Alex here and saying about how I think podcasting is just getting way too complicated <laughs> as of late um you should see the the insane kind of setup we have going on right here right now um, we have quite a few mics set up actually not quite a few i'm talking into my laptop and alex is on the other side of the room with, a, with another mic and alex is here of course to talk about uh, mount fuji which uh, i did say that i would eventually get to and i know it's taken a while i I think it's been, what, maybe like a month almost
1: since we've uh, been to Mount Fuji?
0: Yeah. It had to be about a month, um,
1: right? You, you went up, I think, the first weekend, right?
0: Yeah, the first so weekend that, that Linda
1: was here, yeah. I went up.
0: And I think that had to be, yeah, that was the end of July.
1: Yeah.
0: At the end of July.
1: And uh, when did you go up? We went up, I think, was it two weeks after? Two weeks after? Yeah. Just about. Okay. Well,
0: I think during that period of time there probably wasn't much difference. Um,
1: No. I'd I'd say weather-wise, crowd-wise, it it was still during a peak climb season. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's there's only, for those of you who don't know, there's only a a few, I I don't know, maybe it's about two, two and a half, maybe three months worth of actual climbing time when it's fairly reasonable to to climb Mount Fuji. most of the pictures, I think, that people have seen of Mount Fuji show, you know, the mountain with the snow on the top. Right, yeah. And when we climbed, there was barely any snow at all. I think maybe some patches of snow along the sides there. But um, according to the uh, Japan guide here, July and August are the official climbing seasons. So I guess maybe a month on either side of those, half a month. And then, you, then you have to what, bust out some hardcore rock climbing gear. To get up that thing. Okay, um, we didn't really come up with a fancy-dancy outline here to no, talk about no, no. Mount Fuji. In fact, we're, we're kind of disorganized. We uh, we had a plan to go check out Transformers at the movie theater, but, but <laughs> why don't we actually talk about that, that for that's a second actually, too? Because that that is kind of interesting yeah. here, and we'll get to the uh, Mount Fuji stuff in in one second. But uh, stick with us here. This has got to be a really strange experience for Alex, because I have a set of headphones on here, so I'm hearing all the bumper music, and he's just sitting in the corner.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of looking at you for, like, cues.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, don't, don't look at me for okay. cues, I don't
1: know what I'm doing.
0: Um, no, we we went to Asakusa uh, today, all Right. and uh, we went to go look for a movie theater. Apparently, I searched on the internet for movie theaters in Asakusa, and there was a a fairly well-known street. Apparently, it's been there for for quite a few years. In terms of like, it, it's been set up for entertainment, like the yeah, entertainment area. Yeah, that's um, so.
1: Shitamachi, right?
0: Shitamachi is that what it's called? I think so. I'm not sure, but I, I take your word for <laughs> it. There's a uh, there's two movie theaters there. So looking on the map, we kind of thought, oh well, one of them has to have it. And uh, we took our time getting there, grabbed some lunch, and then headed over to the uh, the movie theaters. And and w- what did we find there?
1: The first one was showing uh, Western movies. Western. movies. Western, but they were still pretty old. Um, I was surprised because I saw like a picture of Arnold, like Collateral Damage, <laughs> which was I don't I don't know how old that movie is. I've never watched it, but I don't think I've ever seen
0: that movie. But I do remember it's got to be at least what four years old,
1: if more than that. I think.
0: Yeah, the posters that were on this on the outside of this place were pretty interesting. They are like the um, they almost look like they were somebody took a photograph and then drew or, like, painted ink over them, sort of inked them in mm-hmm. like a cartoon. Remind me of those old, like, um, I think they were in the 50s, those, like, love, um, those, like, dirty novels. Mm-hmm. But they had, like, you know, like, high school trap, you know, but it was all illustrated, like, the front of it. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, one one theater had a bunch of old, old movies. Right.
1: And I, so I didn't think that was too strange either because, you know, you know, some – Theaters back home still show, like, old, you know, older films.
0: Yeah. Well, they, I think even in the U.S. now, it's more like the DVD, or no, the, it comes out in a theater, then a month later it's on DVD. Yeah. And then usually, like, the um, universities get them for, like, the local theaters. Mm-hmm. And then there's those strange theaters <laughs> that yeah. always play the really strange movies that you haven't seen, like, you know, The Last Starfighter or something. Yeah. <laughs> But um, and then there was another theater right next to it, yeah. and th- this theater was a trip. On one side, it had all of these classic Japanese movies. I didn't recognize any of the titles, but I recognized sort of the period they were from, and I, I think they were from probably the '20s and the '30s. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely pre-war. early. yeah, pre-war.
0: pre-war.: But right next to it, on the <laughs> building, right right under the marquee there, where that, that open lobby area. There was these um, advertisements for these women, these like I don't know. I guess they're pornos, to put it lightly.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say they are.
0: And mm. they had um, they had posters of these these movies right. as if they were on the actual box of the movie. They had no censorship, no black bars, no anything. You could pretty much see everything.
1: Yeah, and it's just right, right and open, right yeah. open. I'm not they trying to hide it. In not trying any way. to
0: hide it. What do, you, what do you think uh, the uh, the older people think about that, especially with, you know, lots of kids running around with socks
1: I don't know, because the two guys that are going in were older guys. They were. They yeah.
0: looked, looked like they were retired yeah, and nothing there like, to do than drink beer. Other, <laughs> which I hope I get to sometime soon. It's
1: it's not a strange thing, though, because I've seen... I saw another theater in Ueno on my way to Ueno Park, and it's quite similar. They just had the posters right out there in the open, so...
0: For but that theater was actually like a like a porno theater. Yeah,
1: it was specifically it was for specifically, that. which is strange because you know in like convenience stores, they they segment off the section for certain magazines.
0: Right, they usually put a little plastic divider. Yeah, exactly. It which sticks out maybe what six inches from the rack.
1: Mm-hmm. It's nothing big. Yeah, right. But they do you know try to section it off from kids, I suppose.
0: Well, like, I guess the. This theater had, you know, on the en- it had the entrance, and on the left side there was the the old movies, right? The oldies. And, what, the oldies. what do you call it? The, the, the classics? Old, the classics. Yeah. And on the right side there was the classics. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was telling Alex. he said it's like going to a theater, and on one side of the theater they're playing Gone with the Wind, and on the other side they're playing Debbie Does Dallas. Yeah. It was it was incredible. <laughs> So, yeah, if, if you're ever in the Asakusa area, go to, I think it's the, the Rocks building area, and just walk that street up north and the two theaters are on the left there, and you, you'll see what I mean. There's a bunch of, bunch of really uh, crowded today uh, yeah. pachinko parlors. Yeah, have you ever played pachinko before?
1: Uh, I went in with a few friends when I was working. I mean, it's not too bad when there's like, a group of guys and we're just like kind of laughing at this one dude who's losing all his money. <laughs> but, like, most guys who go in there go by themselves. Yeah. Just sit there for yeah. hours.
0: I, I think one of the reasons why there's so many machines is because people don't want to sit next to each other. It's
1: probably true. I mean, it's so loud anyways. I don't, you really can't have a conversation.
0: Yeah. yeah. I always wonder how, how long those guys that have maybe four or five baskets of balls have been sitting there.
1: <laughs> well, I know, like, each time you, you put in a few... But it can't be more than 10. So it must take forever from go through all those.
0: They probably have a card where you can put all your balls back on the card and then leave and then come back and take them all off again. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if no, yeah, they are off ball do that. machine, yeah. but in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there you have it. That is a little bit about, um, I almost said vending machines, but no, movie theaters in uh, Asakusa. Okay, that was a little little distraction there, but uh but beyond that. We're back
1: to Mount Fuji. Right. Oh, there's a the song. <laughs> that's the I'm most, pretty cool. <laughs> that's the most ridiculous thing. It is like for half half a minute at least. We
0: um <laughs> we're never gonna get this Fuji episode done. I know. We have to tell the story about the the, washing. the washer. Yeah, I know why not. Why don't you start
1: about our new one? Well, or no, just, the, just the
0: the whole history of the washing machine since we've been here.
1: Well, we first started out uh, renting a washer dryer combo. Do you know what brand it was?
0: Um, I I did, I forgot.
1: But anyways, the issue was that um, whenever it went to the drying. Drawing phase, it would just rattle like crazy. I don't know if it's just un- unbalanced or what, but we had some guys come in and look at it, and they mm-hmm. stuck like some pads underneath, but that really didn't help. So it was it was driving us pretty crazy. Actually, I was more worried about the neighbors than us. Yeah. With uh, the bumping and grinding, basically.
0: <laughs> we tried everything to try and fix this thing, including like. Trying to tighten up the things in the back and and sitting on it when it was <laughs> when it was going real fast, and nothing just seemed to work and uh after a little while there, uh, we ended up just not running it through the spin cycle and going right to the dry cycle
1: yeah, so that so we'd have to dry it for at least three hours yeah. we'd have to go for the three hour um drying cycle net, even then you know the clothes would come out a little. Steamy, actually, (laughs) is the best way to put it.
0: (laughs) The uh, the technique for for drying the clothes ended up, or for doing a load of laundry, ended up being okay. So you put the you put the clothes in and you start the wash cycle, and then you let it get through the first part of the the wash or the rinsing part of the rinse cycle. But it would try to spin a little bit, and that would just be out of control. So you'd have to stop, but there'd still be some soap in the clothes. Right. So the next step was to rerun the rinse cycle. And try to let it spin as much water out as you could, completely skip the spin cycle and go right to the dry, but yeah. with the dry, like you said, it would come out hot and steamy. so I found maybe let it dry for an hour and then open it up and let all the steam yeah out. We'd have, yeah you'd have to
1: leave <laughs> leave the little door open for an hour or so
0: yeah, so it was, a, it was a very needy yeah it's a long process <laughs> but now uh, we we finally had a uh, a new washer delivered, and uh, seems to be working pretty good. But it plays these incredible tones when you start it, and when it finishes, it has a, a good like I don't know maybe fifteen thirty fifteen to twenty second song yeah. that it plays for you, just to let you know that your laundry's done. Because a single beep is apparently not sufficient for the Japanese <laughs> market.
1: Like the one back home just gives you a really loud buzz. It's yeah, really rude, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And, and the other strange thing with this washer, though, is that it has some sort of air-dry function.
1: Yeah, that I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> we haven't figured
0: it <laughs> out, but we probably should figure that out since uh, I've come up with what I call a clothes mobile in order to, to dry my clothes, which is a, a contraption of hangers off of hangers in order to actually um, do a single load of, of drying laundry. But unfortunately, it looks as though it really wrinkles the clothes up, so...
1: Yeah, you might have to iron, iron your with the iron t-shirts. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's that's sort of our saga with the washer, and it's been what about five, four and a half months. Yeah, we, we've been dealing with that
1: five months basically. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool that we uh, didn't charge us for it, though.
0: Yeah, actually, Tokyo Rent. That um, I, I think I spoke about them before. Yeah. On the podcast, were really really cool about it and. Like Alex said, they backed out all of the uh, charges up from when we started, and uh, now reduced our charge too because we only have just mm-hmm. the, the washer apparently. But if we can, if we can figure out how to get that air dryer working, then it's a much better deal. <laughs> we'll pretty much uh, raise our our uh, I don't know, laundry per dollar ratio, or whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Okay, all right. Let's let's actually talk yeah, about uh, let's too. get them
1: for That's
0: been. 15 minutes already think about all the time we'll spend on Mount Fuji
1: yeah we didn't even talk about Royal Hosts either but no that's
0: that's we're gonna have to to save that my my whole experience with Royal Hosts has been a saga (laughs) now I feel like I've been set free yeah I, I know that there's one within 10 minutes of us here Okay, and I'm also drinking Mitsuya Cider again. We had a nice conversation about the... uh,
1: (laughs) About the vending machine. Mitsuya
0: Cider vending machine. But, wow, there's so many topics. I I know, all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been probably about two months since we did a podcast together. I'm trying to think what the last one was. It's it's
1: been quite a while.
0: We talked about... Oh, we talked about community. Yeah. And I think there was a second half that I re-recorded or put it in another section. Well, you put it up a lot later. So really, it's been almost since we moved in, since we did one together, because we only I think we only did one, but that ended up getting divided into two episodes, so I feel like we're never going to talk about Mount Fuji. Okay, um, I guess we should talk a little bit first about getting to Mount Fuji. Um, Many people probably think that Mount Fuji is somewhere really far away in a very remote place, Mm. and others probably think that it's you know, right outside of right, Tokyo yeah. because of the postcards and everything. I've actually seen many postcards that try to layer Mount Fuji behind Tokyo oh, really? to make it look like it's almost part of Tokyo. It's like a, they use Photoshop or something. Very weird. But no, Mount Fuji is probably only about a two, two-and-a-half-hour bus ride from Tokyo. Um, when we went, we took the Fuji, Fuji Kyuko from Shinjuku. Mm-hmm. Did you end up taking the the same?
1: We did. Um Yeah, we reserved it but we left late from here. So we missed our bus, but luckily they had uh, one right after. I think like half an hour later. Okay. Yeah, but there's it's the Fuji what's it called? Fuji Fuji
0: Q K-O. KO. It's run by KO.
1: Yeah, I think that's must be the only one that goes. Yeah, there's that's the biggest one probably.
0: There's I think there's f- four approaches to Mount Fuji. There's, there's four trails. Maybe, maybe we should start there. Um, there's the uh, Yoshida-Guchi Trail, I think. The Tsubashiri Trail, if I wrote these down correctly. The fuji Trail and the Gotemba Trail. And the Fuji, or I'm sorry, the Yoshida-Guchi Trail is the one that's the most famous, and I believe that's the one we both took. Mm-hmm. And it basically starts at Kawaguchi-gogome, which is the fifth station. Now, there's actually, I think, two ways to climb Mount Fuji. They say that the real way is to start all the way at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So essentially starting, to, starting at the first station, which is quite a ways away. And I think yeah, is. taking that approach takes about two to three days in total. About a day and a half to go up and about a day and a half to go down. That's what I've been told. But um, in the essence, or in, not the essence, the, uh, in the interest of time, um, you can actually climb from the fifth stations. Mm-hmm. So the bus that we both took apparently starts at Kawaguchi Gogome. Gogome is fifth station.
1: Right, right.
0: So you have, um, I think, approximately half the climb already done
1: for you at that point. The fifth station is how high? A Thousand? It's over a thousand.
0: That's a really good question.
1: I think it's
0: like a thousand. Let me see if I can find that right now. Yeah, th- there are. Each one actually starts at a different altitude too, but the Kawaguchiko fifth station is actually two thousand three hundred meters.
1: Okay, yeah, that's like
0: two thirds almost. Yeah, the Mount Fuji itself is actually um, th- about three thousand seven hundred meters. Yeah. Let me see here, three thousand seven hundred and seventy-six. So yeah, you're, you're pretty. I mean, Tokyo is pretty much at sea level, so you're. Like you said, you're probably two-thirds of the way up.
1: Yeah. You're already up pretty high by the time you're at fifth section.
0: Yeah. Did you notice a big difference when, when you got off the bus?
1: I didn't really notice any of, the, like, altitude. It didn't really affect me.
0: I noticed something really strange. Yeah? Yeah. Like, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth mm. and try to suck air through, you can't. Like, you can kind of make a vacuum mm. in your mouth. When... I did that up there. Don't ask me why I was doing this. <laughs> right. I didn't realize it until it started happening, and then I tried it when I got back. I don't do this all the time. But, <laughs> but I noticed that up there, it was easier for air to, like, squeeze in. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, I don't know if it was just because the air was that much thinner. They say at the top of Mount Fuji, so about 3,700 meters up, the there's two-thirds the amount of oxygen that there would be otherwise. So... I I guess that's a pretty big difference if you're you're not used to it. So, there's also train routes that will go to different cities around Mount Fuji, um, which may be relatively cheaper, but they're more difficult because they do involve many transfers. And I think in order to get up to any fifth station, you end up having to take a bus anyway.
1: Right, because all the buses stop at the, the first station. Or third. I think ours stopped at the third station. Oh, yours did? Mm. Yeah. Ours was supposed
0: to, but they just blew right by. Oh, okay. I think everybody wanted to go to the fifth. But yeah, you can you can take a bus to the lower stations, but I think if if you're going to go, just grab a bus to kawaguchi Go go, go man! It's probably the best best area to start from. And, and Especially if you're coming from Tokyo, because you can leave right from Shinjuku. Right, yeah. It's really quite convenient. Yeah, it's right across the street from Yodobashi Camera.
1: Yeah, there's Yodobashi there.
0: Yeah. So, go to the Yodobashi Camera in Shinjuku and look across the street. That's where the Ko bus station is. And I think um, you can call to reserve your tickets ahead of time. There were there's actually a, a an English number available too, but they never picked up the phone. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I tried it too. Like, you tried it too. Yeah,
0: I must have tried that number four or five times. <laughs> At all different times during the day, and uh, eventually I gave up and and did the Japanese <laughs> number, and I, I was able to book the tickets okay, so it wasn't too bad. It, it all worked out. So that's that's actually getting to Mount Fuji, and um, what what time we we both went at night. But the, there's also a, an approach where you can do it during the day and get up and come back down and, right. and during the day. But we chose to go at night. Where the, the, the method is to, to arrive around, I think around eight or nine in the evening, and to climb during the evening in, in, in the pitch black, and then watch the sunrise right. at the top. So we ended up doing the bolt, or we both ended up doing that route, but we ended up doing it on separate days. So just to clarify that for everybody, because we probably will have uh, quite different
1: stories. I went with my fiance Linda, and you went with. Yeah, I went out with Sean. One of our classmates mm-hmm. and a friend of his from Shanghai. Um, he's a Dutch MBA. His name was Jesse.
0: Oh, okay. So Alex went with Sean and Jesse. I went with Linda. So we went out. We went out separate separate times. And um, what were what were your impressions first of all when, when you got off the bus?
1: Well, we were a little bit lost actually when we first got off because there were very few people there. Oh, really? At the fifth station, we what, got there. What time there, did you arrive? We got there around ten. Thirty, ten, forty. Oh wow, that's pretty late. Yeah, so the majority of the climbers were already were already up, um, and we didn't see many people behind us when we were going up. Wow. Yeah, so at first we were a bit surprised because we heard you know there'd be a lot of tourists and stuff, but there really wasn't. It was really dark too, and we only had these little flashlights. And the part where you get off from the bus, there are actually no signs, yeah. pointing you which way to go. Yeah. So we were walking in one direction for like ten minutes, before you know. We got a little nervous, and we asked one of the guys behind us, you know, are we going the right way? So, you know, eventually you found, found a big map, and we were doing the right thing. but
0: It's actually kind of weird, because when you we had the exact same thing uh-huh. happen to us. When we got off, we, we bought our walking sticks. Right, yeah, Did we you got do, the You got the walking yeah. sticks, too. Um, the walking sticks are kind of interesting. It's just this sort of, I think it's octagonal. I'm looking at it now. It looks like it's, yeah, it's probably an octagon. It's cut in the shape of an octagon and uh, as you go to each station they'll essentially burn or brand right. the stick with a little piece of metal that has a bunch of information about the station the name, the year and it looks like the kanji for the station and the altitude
1: yeah, sometimes they have a little, I don't know, a little sign or a little figure on it too yeah. so everybody
0: has these walking sticks and our walking sticks had these uh, bells yeah we had those <laughs> too they lasted all of about 20 minutes because mm. <laughs> you're using this stick and you hear, a, you know, you have this bell on your stick and you feel like cattle. <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but we, I just felt like cattle. So eventually, bells are gone.
1: Yeah, I took mine off you like, took immediately because it would be <laughs> like annoying That's probably that a, thing like clanging all the way up. That's
0: probably a good thing because they were so annoying. Yeah. I tried to hold it at the top so they wouldn't rattle around as much mm. and eventually, I just pull them right off. So you, you had your Mount Fuji walking stick. Um, We got ours as well. We kind of suited up and started walking in one direction. But when you walk in that direction, it actually goes down. Yeah, exactly. So we were thinking, we're actually walking down the mountain. And and right when we arrived, it got foggy, and you couldn't see more than 10 feet in front of you either way. Wow. So we would see, like, flashlights coming towards us, and eventually we found a couple, and we asked them, is this the right way to go Mm. up the mountain? And they were like, yeah, yeah, you're going the right way.
1: Yeah, I was a little afraid that we didn't bring enough light. Because at that point, it was just us, and it was really dark.
0: Was the moon in the sky at that, at that point?
1: I Not quite yet. But it was, it was really dark, is all I remember. You couldn't see much more than a few feet in front of you. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of afraid, you know, we would have gone on the wrong path. There's,
0: there's one part, too, when you come up to it, it actually splits. And you have to choose which way to go. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a real-life version of a choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> it's, it's pretty surreal because it's nighttime. There's nobody around. Even when we left, there were many tourists at the fifth station, but when we left, we left on our own. Uh, and there was no one in front of us and no one behind yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we eventually took that right because the mountain is on your right side when you're walking that way and found our way up. Now, that first section, that first section of the climb from the fifth station to the sixth station is pretty easy.
1: It was... um. It was interesting because, if I recall, it, it wasn't steps yet, right? It was mm-hmm. kind of like a sandy, It was like a gravelly sandy,
0: path. gravelly incline.
1: Yeah. I yeah. actually found it a little more difficult than the steps. You did? Yeah. Simply because, I guess, just the way your weight is balanced and distributed when you, when you step. Mm. Yeah. It's not that solid, you know, so. Yeah, that's true. Kind of push off a little bit more.
0: I was kind of excited
1: during that first
0: section, though, so...
1: Yeah, well, I was, too, you know, I was still <laughs> pumped at that point. <laughs> it,
0: it was strange when we arrived and we, we got to the first switchback, and you could look up and see the incline of the mountain, like the silhouette of the mountain against the sky. Because w- when we arrived, we had the, the moon, and the moon was kind of lighting some of the sky behind the mountain. And you could see it was a r- really faint, but it was so strange because it was, it was faint mm-hmm. and very difficult to see, but it was so big. It was such a like a uh, i don't know oxymoron's the wrong word, but it was such a contrast to be barely able to see something but to have it be so uh-huh. big and because it was still foggy, we could see the lights from the um the sixth station creating like a like a halo
1: mm-hmm.
0: around so we kind of knew how close we were during that first first part
1: but you thought you thought the first part was
0: more difficult
1: well like eventually when we got to the stairs i I felt it was kind of a relief actually Uh-oh, okay. Our night was was actually pretty clear. There wasn't much fog at all.
0: Okay. So the the first section from 6 from 5 to 6 was pretty easy, I think. It wasn't too bad and um from what I remember there was uh, quite a few people at the first station kind of hanging out.
1: I don't re- remember there being especially too crowded. I think at that point people weren't resting for very long, so they were, they kept on moving after the brief rest. You
0: know, we arrived at the fifth station around seven thirty, I think seven thirty eight o'clock. So we took many rests on the way up. But, okay, let's let's talk about six to seven <laughs> because I think that uh, for me that was probably the most boring. part. Six
1: to seven was well, this the part where you actually had to. Sort of actually climb.
0: No, I think that was more like seven, eight. Was it? Yeah, we should probably describe for a second. There's there's nine stations, nine main stations, but there's huts all along the way.
1: Yeah, the problem is like you say there's a seventh station, but there's like a new seventh station, like an old seventh station. I was never really sure. Like, was it a new eighth? It's yeah, like something, old eighth, new something eighth, like that.
0: It, it's really strange because there's probably. I guess the best way to describe it, from the fifth station to the top, there are maybe 25, 20, 20 huts yeah, going up that yeah. trail.
1: So it's really, you know, when, it, when I heard like an eighth station, I thought it would be just like one big like rest area. But yeah, like you're saying, there's like all these little huts on the way up.
0: It's like they decided one of the huts was going to be called the eighth yeah,
1: station. I know. Yeah,
0: I bet you you could have gotten many more uh, things on your on your stick because we didn't stop at every single one to get it branding
1: yeah eventually we we just stopped doing it because there's this you know i thought it was for one for each station but just you know each one each hut had their own their own little brand, brand. yeah, yeah. So.
0: that's something to keep in mind too to carefully pick if you do plan on climbing try to look at the map and see which ones are the actual official sixth station seventh station eighth station new eighth
1: station
0: mm-hmm. and then the ninth station i think is the top yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I, I kind of felt like I was in a video game, and I'm like, oh, I just, I just got to get the next level. I just got to get to the next <laughs> level. So I think um, my fiance had a little bit of a trouble. A little bit of trouble. She started getting a migraine on the way up, so we didn't think we were going to make it up all the way. Mm. But um, and unfortunately, at that point, I stopped the recordings, so uh-huh. I don't have any recordings from it because we, you know, I was just worried about her and yeah. trying to figure out what we're going to do. What's interesting, though, about the climb is Mm -hmm. there's only so many places where you can turn around. You can't just say, okay, I can't do it anymore. I need to turn around. Because the way the climb gets eventually is it gets to be fairly rocky Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and fairly, I don't know. There were some points where I think I even had to use my hands
1: to kind of climb myself
0: up. And once it starts getting crowded, there's no real way to just sort of turn around and come down. In fact, I don't think I saw anyone coming down and we are going maybe one or two sets of people
1: no not until we reached the top I didn't see anyone turn around I didn't pass anyone like coming down
0: yeah I think to talk a little more or just or cap off uh, the area between six and seven what I remember is that was the area where there's lots of like switching back and forth and the climb wasn't too difficult it was more like steps but not quite really rocky and and jagged
1: yes yes there were There I remember now. There were the their walls. Like
0: retaining walls.
1: Yeah. I um at that point I was I was feeling kinda tired already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty tired the whole way up actually. But the walls were useful because it was kind of a way for me to kind of keep track of where I was going.
0: Mm. From what I remember too, the climb between the sixth and the seventh took the longest. In terms of space between the huts. There's, there's quite a few, uh, um, how to put it, there's quite a few huts on the way, but I think there was a gap between the official stations of about almost two hours.
1: I wasn't keeping track of which ones were official at, at that point, because it's a little confusing. But I remember there were, I think this was a stretch, where there were quite a few huts, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. 7th to 8th, that was pretty intense. I think for me, 7th to 8th was my most tired moment. So
1: I actually, it kind of woke me up, actually. Because If 7th to 8th was the, the steepest part, we actually had to kind of, you know, scale rocks a little bit. And in a way, because, you know, you have to pay more attention. You feel, you know, maybe it's a little more dangerous. as well. 7th to 8th...
0: St- well, it's kind of a tie between 7th to 8th and 8th to 9th, but 7th to 8th kind of struck me as the most dangerous because of the yeah. wind at the time. There was You do these switchbacks, and on the right side it was really windy, and on the, on the left side there was barely any wind. It's like the way the wind was coming over the mountain at that time. But yeah, it was, and that was mostly like, it got to a point I think where it was really difficult to even see where the path was. There was they drill these holes into these rocks right, yeah. and put these poles in and they run ropes through them. But I literally ran into a few of those poles because I couldn't see them.
1: Yeah, we were just in. For some parts, we we're just pulling ourselves up just along the chains.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So using the chains to, yeah, to pull just, yourself up. just to
1: see where the path was, yeah. otherwise you can't really tell.
0: Now I think there's there's different ways to go about it with all the groups because once you get past the 7th station, there's quite a few people. There's, I-, I would say, maybe at least two or three groups that would come through every station every 10 minutes. And the groups have a group leader right. with, a, like, a big... I mean, these guys have, like, almost, like, sirens on their heads. It seems like, like lots of blinking lights. Yeah, and,
1: they, this dude had, like, a backpack with, like, lights on it.
0: Like, and the big... Um, like traffic control mm. cones that light up and you can hold them. And they usually put one person in the middle if it's a big group and then one person at the end. So if you get stuck in one of these groups, the good thing is is the, the groups are paced so that everybody can go. And you get to walk along with the group as mm-hmm. if you're part of the group. But the bad thing is is if you're at the back end of a group, you basically there's no way for you to pass a group.
1: Yeah, it got a little tough, but um, I noticed this- the biggest group we had there was, I think, a big Chinese tour group, and they would stop though just to collect all their members. Mm-hmm. In a way, that, you know, they step to the side and let people pass them while they're waiting. So it wasn't too bad from seventh eighth for us. I don't think the the final ascent. Well, we had stopped
0: at eighth, and we left. We stayed there for maybe about an hour and a half, hour hour and a half. Which, in retrospect, I think for us was a bad idea because my my, I was wearing multiple layers, but it was so um, sweaty, even mm-hmm. with those layers, that as soon as I took my backpack off, I was cold,
1: uh. because the
0: wind would blow across my back, and it was so humid and moist that it wouldn't dry, mm-hmm. it would just stay wet and cold, so it was pretty terrible. <laughs> that hour and a half kind of sucked, to put it bluntly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after that, going from eighth to the top, we just sort of paced ourselves, and I think that... Um, was second probably the second easiest from you really? know, the first easiest being that first part.
1: Yeah. For me, the final lesson had to be the toughest part.
0: Really?
1: I mean, for one thing, it was, it was freezing. And yeah, it is pretty cold. And I didn't have a, a scarf. And that's the thing I, I actually wish I brought the most. Because the wind would blow across your face. Yeah. And that was, and that was pretty tough on me. I think you know combined with the sweat and everything. So my face was getting really cold. And at this point, I was really sleepy, too. Because, <laughs> I don't know, it was about, for us, it was about 3 or like 2, 3 a.m.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By the time we were up on the final ascent. And this was the part where it got really crowded. The climb, it really, really slowed down. I mean, is I was really surprised at how slow people were going, you know. You just have to stand in place, basically, for a few minutes. Take a few steps and wait again. So, you know, you're standing there and you're cold and you're not moving. You know, you're you're really tired. And the you're wind's like, blowing you know, over you and... You know, you really feel like just, you know, sitting down, like taking a nap or something. So this was this was hard, you know, to keep motivated, to keep going at this point. Yeah. And I was separated from uh, Sean and Jesse. Oh, you were? Yeah. Jesse was, he was, like, way ahead. And Sean, at this point, he was, um, the climb was a little tough for him because the altitude was affecting him. He had bought the oxygen by this time. So he was he was way in the back somewhere. So I was kind of in between the two guys, you know. Mm. So, you know, you you kind of...
0: Kind of by yourself. Right, you got <laughs> no one <you> know,
1: <laughs> to talk to, to keep you awake, you know. So this, this part was the uh, hardest for me, actually.
0: Wow. We, we left the 8th station around 1.30 in the morning. And we gave ourselves about two hours to get up to the top. And I think we actually arrived an hour and a half. It's the shortest part, but you're right. There's so many people there and you have to wait. Yeah. Even at 1.30, we didn't arrive until about 3 o'clock in the morning. But the downside to that was you're waiting on top of the
1: mountain in the cold, doing
0: nothing, (laughs) waiting for the sunrise. So, yeah. Now, did you stop at any of the stores at the top there?
1: We stopped at – from the final station up. No, I don't think so.
0: There's like um, ramen shops. There were some gift shops, and if if San's listening, I know he is because he probably saw the title on the cast and is listening to it right now. But there were actually vending machines on the top of Mount
1: Fuji. Oh, you mean at the very top? <laughs> yeah, at the very top. Ah, uh, we we bought a couple hot drinks. But I was, it?
0: I was really, I, I was torn between getting coffee at in, from the vending machine. Mm. But I think if if I recall correctly, the vending machines were. Just out of control expensive really? they it was probably six or seven hundred yen really for a small boss coffee can oh.
1: I think we pay like maybe three hundred four hundred for like uh from a from one of the guys one of the stores for a can of like hot chocolate, yeah yeah, they
0: had um these guys with buckets. Filled with water on stoves, heating them up and boiling the water. And they had all the the cans Mm -hmm. of coffee in the buckets to keep them warm.
1: That's where we are from.
0: We stopped and got uh, ramen, too. And it was such an interesting store because the store kitchen was in the back. Mm -hmm. There were no tables, just rows of seats. So people would sit down and kind of huddle together Mm -hmm. and eat the ramen and just sort of warm up before uh, heading off. Now... At the top of Mount Fuji, you actually come up on one edge of the crater. Yeah. And there's a a trail that goes all the way around the crater. And when you climb up on the the Kawaguchi Go side, you don't actually reach the summit because there's an area that has a weather observatory station that is actually the summit. Did you you guys get a chance to walk around the top? We
1: went towards the crater, but we didn't actually do, we didn't circle around it. So I don't think we actually went to the... You know the highest point possible, yeah. but we did we did walk a bit on our side. Greater the there, yeah. just looking around. So.
0: so, now when you guys didn't quite arrive at the top by the time the sun rose, but that didn't affect.
1: Your we were and sun rose, did it? no, we were probably, I would say, ten minutes away from the top, but you know simply because of the crowds, we just decided just to stop on the way up instead we had a pretty good view though um it was quite unobscured yeah. and it's you know just right in front of where the sun came up so we just sat there i think it must have been almost 4 30 about and we just waited for the sunrise and then after it had come up then we continued on our way to the top
0: okay and it only took you about 10 minutes to get up to the top yeah. From that point on.
1: Yeah. Because at, at that point, you know, the, the path was relatively flowing. Because, you know, when we sat down people were still trying to make it to the top. But we just decided it wasn't we weren't gonna make it. But actually we probably would have if we did it, but you know, we had a really good view anyways, so
0: And what did you think of the sunrise? Do you think it was worth it from the
1: top? Yeah, definitely. I mean at that point I was I was still I was pretty miserable, you know. You like crouch on these rocks and it's windy but you know, when the sun comes up it's Quite an amazing view because all of a sudden, you know, because you can see the lakes, you know, mm-hmm. you couldn't see it at all in the night and all of a sudden you could see all these lakes and, you know, all this greenery just popping up in front of you.
0: It, w- it was, we had a slightly different experience because when we, when we climbed it, it was fairly cloudy. Mm-hmm. And while we were waiting for the sun to rise, you know, the sky starts to to open up mm-hmm. and the, the sky starts getting lighter. But it was still very windy, and there was a pretty strong wind coming over the back side of the mountain down over the top, and there were these clouds that were coming over, flying, had to be maybe 20 meters over our heads, and then down the oh, mountain. Wow. It was really yeah. cool. But when the sun rose, we couldn't see anything except down the mountain mm-hmm. because everything else was clouds. So we got this, the sunrise like, up through the clouds, and uh, everything below was white.
1: Really? Yeah, for at
0: least... I don't know, maybe about the next hour or so until the sun started burning off the clouds. But yeah, we we couldn't see any of the lakes or or any of that until we started actually going down on the descent. So let's um let's talk about the descent for a little bit. It, it sort of sounds anticlimactic. Yeah, you know? I know. Like, yeah, we made it to the top. Yeah, I mean, I I guess to summarize. At, at this point, yeah, we were both pretty excited that we made it to the top. None of us really got hit with the altitude too bad. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, everything I had read said that you need to dress really warmly, which is true. I mm-hmm. mean, I think protecting your hands and feet is probably the biggest thing, and then your face. Yeah. But they said it's, like, really dangerous, and the altitude sickness is a real problem. But I really didn't see much of that. I didn't see many people that were sick or had issues.
1: We, um, they had the little... I don't know what you call it. It's like a it's a little cart, but it runs on like a treads, like a tank or something. Mm-hmm. And that did pass us on our descent, though. I think like twice. so Some people did get sick, but I think that's already by the time they made it to the top. Mm. So, But overall, I
0: didn't think it was... I mean, I didn't train mm-hmm. to climb Mount Fuji. Yeah. It's definitely doable if you're uh, just a common... You know, person. If you're if you're in reasonably good shape, like you can walk to work if you had to, Mm -hmm. you know, then you're fine. I think you can climb up Fuji.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not such a physically strenuous climb. I mean, it is tiring, but you know, it's more of a mental,
0: mental thing. In my, I think
1: so. You know, because at that point, combined with you know being cold and being tired, you know, yeah, that makes it a lot tougher.
0: Especially if you do it overnight, because you have the whole, you have the whole tiredness thing to deal with and it was strange because i really didn't feel that tired when i was climbing but i think think linda was pretty beat (laughs) and you said you're pretty tired yeah i was i
1: was ready i was ready to sleep on that final ascent.
0: i was i was nowhere near ready to go to sleep by the time Uh um but yeah i think uh climbing up is is pretty doable but climbing down (laughs) yeah is terrible i think that was the worst part of climbing mount fuji was going down yeah,
1: I, I'd have to agree there <laughs>
0: <laughs> going down Mount Fuji is pretty much hell it is really terrible it looks like hell it feels like hell and by the time you get halfway down you just want to die
1: you yeah, know, and yeah. kill yourself it's pretty bad it's surprising because when you look down at first I thought it was just a, a straight ascent you know a straight path down but it's it's like zigzags the whole way down
0: and it's gravel. It's it, not even gravel. It's like fine sand that you're that you're going down. So if you're wearing any type of shoe that lets air in, you're essentially going to have you know black feet by the time you get down. Yeah. How long did it take you guys to get down?
1: Uh, you know it's funny because I think all most guides and stuff say it takes like what two hours, two three hours, but it took us four. Four and a half, almost five, to get all the way back to uh, the fifth station.
0: We decided to go to a different fifth station on the way down. Um, So it was one of those stations that says that if you climb from that station, it's supposed to take six to eight hours to get up, Mm -hmm. about half that, so three to four hours to get down. It took us about four and a half hours to get down. And there was one section of the trail where they had literally, it looked like they just like plowed down the mountain and put rope up on either side. And that was the trail down for a good two kilometers straight down, just shooting down the mountain. And eventually we developed this walking technique where we go heel first and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a hopping jog and you're able to dig your heels into the, the sand and let it slide a little bit as you pull your other foot out and then keep repeating the process going all the way down but every once in a while you hit like a a really loose part and land on your ass it was really fun
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the worst part was that it's it's just so slippery because yeah. of all the gravel and you'd have to go slowly otherwise you just topple over on your face unless you're leaning back the whole time
0: and I think if there's any part of training that I wish I did before um doing the whole mm-hmm. up and down on Mount Fuji I wish I had trained um my quads Uh. and the bottom part of my quad that connects to my knee because that is the part that I think gets hit most when you're coming down the mountain because you're you're constantly trying to prevent yourself from going too fast. Mm. So you're using these muscles to slow yourself down. And after, you know, I can get on like a stair, stair mill or whatever it is or a bicycle and ride really hard and exercise really well for a good 30 minutes. But this was doing it for about a good three and a half hours. Yeah. And eventually, you get to a point where you're like, "I don't want to do this anymore." Yeah. <laughs> but unlike going up, there's no option to turn around.
1: Right, and there's no there's no huts or anything to rest at. Right on the way down.
0: Right. So mm. you're basically stuck in a situation where you have to do it. Right. And the only the only question is, is if you if you take your time, it's just going to take longer, and you're going to extend the pain.
1: We were trying to get down faster too, because it's beginning to get really hot yeah. on the way down. I don't know was for you guys but it was pretty terrible yeah the sun was was coming up pretty soon so that's why we didn't want to stay at the top too long and it was getting pretty hot
0: yeah we actually got sunburned really we were there yeah and we were we were covered in about a good you know two or three millimeters of dirt
1: right yeah
0: and uh you're, you're coming down you're sweating you're tired you're hurting it's just it's just it's a terrible experience we uh, we were saying they should just put a ski lift on Mount
1: Fuji. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, you think with the I don't know how many people go every year, but
0: they get rid of the line problem.
1: Yeah, and it's probably a little dangerous too, especially for like older people when they're coming down. You know, that's We saw what, quite a few older people like fall down, but
0: yeah, they get back up. They get yeah. back up. That that's one of the thing, things we didn't talk about, but we're running at about fifty minutes now yeah. already. But um, yeah, the. the the people who are climbing Mount Fuji, we saw everything from, I don't know, I have to say a six-year-old all the way up to 70, 80-year-olds. Yeah. It was really incredible. I think unlike some other places I've seen in the U.S. where the hike may be a little treacherous, like maybe Yellowstone. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures. But certainly places like Mount Washington, Mm -hmm. um, the Rocky Mountains I've, I've been to, you don't tend to see many young people or many older people in those types of situations. Right. But at Mount Fuji, I would have to say the majority of the people there actually were, had to be at least 50 years old. There were many, many people who looked like they were retired who were climbing Mount Fuji with their wives or their husbands.
1: Mm, yeah. That was, that was um, my experience too. You do see a lot of older people going up.
0: We We went on a Friday night so many of the people who were there I think were still in the, the workforce. Mm-hmm. But you, you guys went up on a Wednesday. Yeah, we
1: don't went up on Wednesday.
0: And did you notice that there were more younger people than older people or more foreigners than Japanese?
1: Not particularly. In our in the bus that we went, um I think I would say the majority were foreigners. But on the climb up I couldn't really tell. Listen maybe
0: 95% of the people who climbed Mount Fuji were from Asia.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. many, maybe about a third of those, were from China. Mm-hmm. And the rest, I'd say, were either a mix of Japanese, Korean, maybe a few Korean. There were actually a few Korean groups, and maybe a few um, like Taiwanese mm-hmm. or uh, South Asia, like Philippines. But yeah, it was mostly Asian people, which was surprising because I haven't met. Um, in my circle of friends and colleagues and coworkers, I haven't met anybody else who's climbed Mount Fuji.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you read this when you're looking up stuff on Mount Fuji, but like a, a statistic they like to throw around is like you say like one percent, the population in Japan is. That's the only, that have climbed like. So it's 1%. like 130
0: million people in Japan, right. and so 1.3 million people have
1: right of Japanese climbed Mount have Fuji. Climbed.
0: But there's it says like. I read something somewhere where they say, you know, there's tens of thousands of people that do it every year. Mm -hmm. So that's just incredible.
1: Well, it's funny because I was talking to some of my uh, English students and they're saying, yeah, you know, mafushi is something that, like, foreigners like to do a lot, but not so much, you know, Japanese people.
0: I wonder why that is. Do you think it's because they take it for granted or they're just, they grow up with it in their backyard so it never occurs to them to go climb up it?
1: It could be but you know, talking to them there. None of them showed too much of a great desire to climb.
0: It was interesting. I had a coworker. I still do have a coworker, but my coworker was listening to me telling him about mm-hmm. how I wanted to climb Mount Fuji. And after I came back, him and his family had decided to go. Oh, really? Yeah. Because oh. he said it was something he always wanted to do, but it never occurred to to him to do it with his family. And he did it with his family. But I think him, his wife, turned around at the sixth station. And him and his daughter turned around at the 7th. Oh, wow. So, they, and, But they tried to do it during the day, mm. and they didn't make it up to the top. I, I don't think I could have climbed Mount Fuji during the day because of the heat. I yeah. think I would much prefer to do it at night and then come down during the day.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely would have gone during the night. Because, I mean, those, at that time, it was really hot during the day.
0: Yeah, it was very hot. Mm. I mean, considering J- July and August are probably the... T- two hottest months of the year for Japan you really need to take that into consideration it's not so hot at the top but you're right as you come down it gets gradually hotter and hotter and I imagine when you're climbing up the mountain as the day goes on you don't notice it getting cooler and cooler because the air is compensating for that so well I think that pretty much summarizes (laughs) it we're kind of killing
1: this here but I don't know what else one thing I kind of want to ask you is like what made you want to climb it in the first place
0: well, I mean, there's only so many things that are famous in Japan, and I wanted to do as many of them as possible. And I think that after living in Japan for a year and a half, if I hadn't climbed it, mm-hmm. to me it would have been a wasted opportunity. Uh, because there are people who will come out here just to do that. That's true. But we're, we're here, and we should be taking advantage of these things. I think there's many things like that, like going to Okinawa, right. which you, you just came back from. We want to ask you about that in another show. Uh-huh. You have to write all these things down. Um, You know, going up north to Sapporo and seeing the ice festivals and things like that, or going to Hiroshima. Mm. I mean, these are experiences that, to me, are are world experiences, not just being in Japan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, might as well do them while you're here. What what about yourself?
1: Well, I I didn't really think too much about it, but like after you came back, hearing what, you know, your stories about it, that really made me want to go. And it's really good timing that, you know, Sean and Jesse came you did but i I'd have to agree with you about the part about it being not just a Japanese experience but a world experience you know something that i don't know it's like a really unique and you know, special opportunity to do this so, yeah
0: I think too as as I get older i I need to keep challenging myself and it's definitely when we had started the climb, I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a mental challenge, like, like we said, to see if we could actually do it. And I'm glad we did. It was definitely worth it. I don't think I will ever do it again. No. <laughs> they say, uh, there's, a, there's a saying that says, uh, a man who climbs Mount Fuji once is very wise, oh, but yeah. only a fool will climb it twice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have to agree with that. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, pretty much. The funny thing is, though, at the fifth station, we're talking to this Japanese guy. and It was his third time going up. So and was and just, he wasn't a tourist. No. No, he that wasn't. That has
0: to make you wonder.
1: Yeah. And he was going up during the day, too.
0: Maybe uh, maybe it flips over if you do it one more maybe. time. Yeah, after the third time.
1: <laughs> but I,
0: I think I could physically do it a second time. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I would want to do it you know, yeah. a second time. So there you go. If, if you guys are interested in, in climbing Mount Fuji, hopefully we gave you some good information. I, I guess to summarize mm-hmm. is do the take the bus because right. it's the easiest way and you can do a return trip. Um, go at night, mm-hmm. but dress warm and bring some hand and head protection.
1: Yeah,
0: and then uh, if there's anything you do ahead of time, try to train your legs a little bit for the descent because uh, that seems to be... Much more difficult than yeah, the actual ascent part. up the mountain. Unfortunately, <laughs> okay, I'm going to see if I can actually do this without without killing everything here. Probably not. Looks like it's not working right now. So I'll do the outro in post production. It's running right now. But Alex, thanks again for um, taking the time to do this, and uh, to the listeners, I-, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, there was one clip in there of. Uh, me sort of reporting on the beginning of the climb, but like I said, I we had to not really pay too much attention to the uh, doing podcasting, you know, 12,000 right. feet up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> or how I had, I don't, actually, I never calculated how high that up was in, in, in feet for our U.S. listeners. Let me, let me do right. that really quick here. So it's 3,776 feet, and that's going to be a length conversion. And that is meters to feet. That's over 12,000 feet up. So that's pretty high. Yeah. So, you know, excuse me for for not taking some audio up there. But again, I hope this sort of experience makes up for it. And if you do come to Japan, please, and if you're at all interested in climbing Mount Fuji, definitely come. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys real soon. Bye.